Episode 70 of Killer Hangover. My name is Beth. And I'm Bettina. And I love every 10th episode because we do something a little different. And for this episode, we will be covering Germany. Deutschland. She's going to do that the entire episode, I'm sure. <laughs> I will be covering the true crime this week. And mom, I don't know German for mom. <laughs> Mutti. Mutti will be covering... <laughs> We'll be covering the, what do you say for paranormal in German? Die Geistgeschichte. What she said. <laughs> she has the beverage and the guest drinker. I do. I have my husband here, Tom, again. Hello. <laughs> and uh, we're not drinking something he really likes a lot, but he's being a trooper and enjoying this with me so I don't have to do it by myself again like last week. So I grew up in Germany until I was like 16. And then I moved back to Germany after a while. And that's where Beth was born, actually. Yep. I still don't know how to speak it. <laughs> well, just because you're born there doesn't mean you know how to speak it. <laughs> should naturally be ingrained in my head, but... Just like your sister who was born in Kentucky says, yeah, I can talk tucky because I was born there. <laughs> that <laughs> was so cute when she was little, little and she did that. <laughs> that was cute. Oh, but um, on a nice warm summer's day in Germany, it is so much fun to go down to a little cafe and sit outside and order a beer and sit outside and enjoy a beer. Now, there's a lot of different beers. Germany is actually known for its beers. But there's one particular beer that I really like a lot, and it's called the Hefeweizen. It's mostly brewed in South Germany. In North Germany, it's kind of hard to come by. But in South Germany, you can find Hefeweizen. It's a Bavarian-style beer. It's a more of a wheat beer than a Pilsner or anything else that they have. And, uh, yeah, I enjoy Blue Moon, too, so... That's about the same kind of kind of taste. You're you're just killing me with this because we've been having really nice weather recently and I would love to be enjoying a beer Definitely. on a summer's day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it's so tasty. It's so tasty. The only thing with this to me is I can only have like one glass of it. Now I'm talking German glasses. They're they're the big steins. So like a big boot. <laughs> like a big boot. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that was so much fun. Anyway, <laughs> different story. <laughs> oh my um, gosh. But because it's wheat beer, I think it's heavier. Now, I got the Weihein Stephanna Hefeweizen. <laughs> That's a word. <laughs> and You're telling me that makes no sense <laughs> to me. <laughs> That's the brewery. And it is a little um, darker, I think, and a little heavier than what I'm used to. It also has more of a, um, the finish is more Pilsner-like, which you would probably oh, enjoy. That's my, yeah. Yeah. So Tommy and I are going to sample this. Tom is not a beer yes, guy. Yes, it's uh, Bavarian style. Well, let's see, where, where where's it made? It's on the side. Strauss. Oh. Can you read that? You sound like me. <laughs> Freising. Oh, Freising, Germany. So it's named after the town that's made in. Yeah, it, it's good for uh, one beer. And then <laughs> then you're like, uh, it's sunny out here. It's warm. and uh, You're ready for a margarita. <laughs> yeah, you're ready to go take a nap or something. <laughs> yeah, let's make a margarita. It ain't no margarita, Tom. Cheers, honey. So it really does have a good, strong flavor. I mean, it... It has a fruity, citrusy flavor. What do you think, darling? So I think it's good for, you know, a half a glass or... <laughs> oh, we've gone down to half a glass now. Then you're going to have to move on to um, a wine or something. Beer before liquor, never been sicker. Liquor before beer, you're in the clear. Beer auf Wein, das lass sein. Beer on top of wine... Leave it alone. Well, that doesn't rhyme in English. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does in German very nicely. <laughs> As you listeners can tell, I'm so excited about Germany. So, anyway, 
Try a Hefeweizen sometime in the summer. It's a wonderful drink. Rub it in. Well, thank you, Tom, for sampling a drink with mom so she didn't have to drink by herself. Yeah, I've been to Germany twice, and the first time was with our son. He was uh, less than a year old, and we went to South Germany, and they were playing music, polka music, and everybody's drinking beer, and it was fun. And then probably four years ago, we went on a river cruise on the Rhine from Switzerland to Amsterdam. We sat outdoors at a a village there on the Rhine and had a beer and kind of a, a beer garden area, outdoor table. So that was cool. You like the ambiance of these drinks. Last time you were on, you liked mangoes ambiance, but not so much. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I forgot about the that. beverage. But it sounds like you enjoy the outdoors and the tent and the music, but not so much the beverage. <laughs> well, it's good if outdoors and all of that and you're on vacation and you're, oh, you don't sure. have to worry about working and you have nothing to do and there's a little bit of music and everybody's having fun. and But recording for a podcast is different, so... <laughs> We went from you can enjoy a glass to half a glass. Now he's going to say, a quarter glass of this is just fine. It it (laughs) tastes pretty good. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Tom, for joining us again. Thank you, honey. Sorry, I don't have a joke. (laughs) All right. We'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Moving on. (laughs) Okay. Well, the true crime story I am going to share with you all today is one of Germany's most intriguing unsolved murder cases. Ooh, unsolved. All right. To this day, no one knows who did it. And it has haunted the area in southern Germany, about 50 miles or 83 kilometers north of Munich. The story takes place on a farm. Hinterkaifeck. Hinter means behind. And it was named from the nearby hamlet Kaifek. So, behind Kaifek. Kaifek. Very good. I will not be telling this story with a German accent like mom probably will. So, <laughs> this is the American version of it. <laughs> okay, so Hinter Kaifek was a large farm. It was built in 1863. And, like I said, it was just on a really big property. Mm-hmm. It had crop fields, stables, an engine room, a large yard, pastures, a tool shed. Now, some resources were a little different. Some said that the tool shed was used as a laundry room and a bakery. Others said that the tool shed was also the engine room. But you get it. This house, this property had everything. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so it had all that and then the family home. The family home where the family resided most, was very isolated. It was just surrounded by lots and lots of farmland. Cecilia and her husband ran Hinterkaifeck Farm. And they had... Oh, I thought her husband's name was Ran. And her husband ran. (laughs) No. There's no Ran in this story. Stop chugging the beer. Cecilia and her husband... Took care of Hinterkaifeck Farm. <laughs> they had two children, but then her husband died. Oh. A year after her husband's death, she married the 10 years younger than her socially awkward farmhand. Oh, la la. Andreas Gruber, who maintained the farm and the property. Andreas was, well, he kept to himself a lot. He wasn't a total recluse. He had relationships with his neighbors, like he would always lend a helping hand if they needed it. Mm -hmm. But he also liked to keep to himself and his family. We can't be for certain the relationship between Andreas and Cecilia. But rumor around the area was that there was a great deal of domestic violence in their home. Oh, no. So much so that that's actually why only one of their children survived. That's kind of the rumor. They had three. 
Yeah. But kind of, again, no, it's all hearsay. And this story happened so long ago. That's, I think, part of the reason why it is still unsolved. It's right. like there's a lot of rumor and hearsay. And but at the end of the day, the facts are they only had one daughter that survived. And her name was Victoria. The other rumor going around town was that Andreas was sexually assaulting his daughter, Victoria, starting at a really young age. Mm. Apparently, at the age of 16, she confessed to a neighbor that her father was forcing himself on her. Eventually, Cecilia's other children grew and left the farm, leaving Victoria alone with Andreas and Cecilia. Victoria worked really hard. She did a lot of hard labor out on the farm. She also became a leading member of the church choir. She attended mass every Sunday and worked the farm during the week. She was actually probably the most social of her family. Apparently, it was just more than a few sexual advances on his daughter, though. Andreas was very protective of her and really hated the man that eventually became Victoria's husband, Mm. Carl Gabriel. Shortly after their marriage, the young couple were granted the deed to Hinterkaifeck. Andreas and Cezalia remained living on the farm to help care for it, but it was in Victoria and Carl's hands. But that didn't stop the terrible abuse that Carl would receive from Andreas. Shortly after they were married, Carl ran home to his parents to complain about his father-in-law. They sent him back. You know, be a man, run the farm. It's going to be <laughs> officially up. yours one right. day. Just, you'll, you'll be fine. Like, he's an old man. Just deal with it. Victoria was pregnant pretty soon after their marriage, but about four months after they were married, Carl enlisted to fight in World War I, and he left for the front lines in France, where he was killed in action. Oh, no. A month after his death, Victoria gave birth to a daughter. She named Cecilia after her mother. They called her Celie. But it seems like Andrea's obsession with his daughter in the past came to a head when, according to the Case File podcast I listened to, episode 124, Victoria and Andreas were both convicted of an incestuous relationship. What? The charges were for past accounts from 1907 to 1910, but Victoria was sent to prison for a month, and Andreas was sent to prison for a year. Why was she sent to prison? I don't know. That infuriated me as well. (sighs) But even worse is as soon as they both get out of prison, they both go back to Hinterkaifeck and everything just went back to normal, living their lives on the farm. Again, just kind of going about their own business, right back to old routine. Then in 1919, Victoria gave birth to her second child. From whom? A son named... Hold on. (laughs) A son named Joseph. Now, of course, neighbors were suspicious if the child was Andreas. And it was very... And it very well could have been because there was some evidence that the incestuous relationship did continue but the birth certificate named the father as ls which were the initials of a neighbor lorenz schlitterbauer which just reminds me of that water park in the area here schlitterbaum that's closed now yes yeah that's closed now because a horrible decapitating slide anyway uh lorenz schlitterbauer <laughs> god that's the last time i attempt his name we're just gonna call him lorenz He was widowed, and he and Victoria did have a brief relationship. And from what I understood from my research, because you know how resources can Uh, be. (laughs) But from what I could tell, he was actually paying child support for Joseph. Oh, okay. And the timeline did kind of make sense that it was his. And he had somewhat a relationship with him, sometimes claiming Joseph was his, other times just kind of, meh. Like, it just, I don't know, it was was very weird. (laughs) So I've introduced you to the characters a bit, those living on the farm. Andreas is 63. His wife, Cecilia, is 72. Victoria, she's 35, and she lives there with her two children, Celie, seven, and Joseph, who is two. They'd had a maid living with them, Crescence Rieger, but she left in November 1921 after working for them for about 10 months. She reported odd things around the house she claimed the house was being taken over by the devil some resources claimed she walked in on andreas and victoria engaged in some inappropriate things at some point he's like 63 at this point yeah 
And some resources claimed that she even heard Andreas telling his daughter she wasn't allowed to marry. Um, He even locked Victoria in a closet when a date came to pick her up once. But most resources I read claimed that she said that the house was haunted. She would be kept up at night by odd noises in the attic, like somebody walking around in the attic. Mm -hmm. And odd happenings around the house just caused her to get out. So the family kind of wrote her off as some crazy person, (laughs) and she quit and left. But then Andrea started noticing some odd things around the property, too. Okay. He told his neighbors about how he saw footprints in the snow leading from the woods to his house, but no footprints ever left the house. Oh, my gosh. This goes back to the guy in the wall. Okay, go. (laughs) On another occasion, he mentioned how the tool shed's lock had scratch marks on and around it like someone had tried to pick it. Mm. A set of house keys had totally gone missing Uh and nobody knew where they were. Now, like I said, he's kind of a recluse, but he's not. Like, he's having these conversations with his neighbors. And Mm -hmm. his neighbors are like, you want to borrow a gun? And he's like, I got I got this. I got this under control. I don't need your gun. I can protect my house. He still obviously has conversations with his neighbors. But one morning, an unfamiliar newspaper from Munich, which I said was pretty dang far away, Mm -hmm. was found in the kitchen. No one in the family knew where it had come from. No one had traveled that far. Oh, my gosh. It just kind of like appeared. He also claimed to neighbors that someone was in their house. He started to say, I think someone's getting in the house. And someone was letting the cows loose from their pens. Oh, no. And then he started hearing footsteps and noises coming from the attic at night. Eventually, the family hires a new maid, Maria Bumgardner. She was in her late 40s. She was very religious and had worked as a maid in the area most of her life. She kept to herself, mostly because of a mild mental disability she had, as well as a birth defect. She was born with one leg longer than the other. Mm-hmm. Her older sister, Francesca, had been caring for her before she moved into Hinterkaifeck to work as a live-in maid on March 31st, 1922. The first curious thing the neighbors noticed was on April 1st, so the very next day, okay. 1922, when Celie didn't arrive to school that Saturday morning. So back then, children went to school six days a week. They were only off Sundays, which sounds horrible. But And they probably, I don't know if it's changed, but they go to school all year round. Wow, that's a lot of school. <laughs> but the parents are getting some nice breaks from their kids. <laughs> they might have a month off in August. That's when most people go on vacations, but yeah. Now, it was not totally unusual. Celie had complained to her teacher that she was exhausted the day before and had actually fallen asleep in class. So her teacher assumed Celie was out sick. Uh, She led the class in an Our Father for Celie to feel better. And Uh then they hit the books and they went on with their day. That same Saturday in the afternoon, a coffee merchant arrived at Hinterkaifeck. But the whole place looked to be deserted. Usually the farm was really busy on Saturdays, but this afternoon there was no movement. Except for the cows in the pasture and the dog barking in the stable, the farm was quiet. The merchant went to the neighbor, Lorenz. Mm -hmm. They kind of gossiped about, you know, I guess the farm's really quiet. Do you know if they're anywhere? Like, do you know if they're home? Just kind of mentioned it. That was it. The next day, Sunday, Victoria usually met up with two friends outside the farm's gates to walk to church. And this totally reminds me of the clutters, because remember that was yeah, yeah, kind of the first sign the two That's girls. That's what this were was reminding go. me of. Yeah, yeah. That Sunday, however, the two friends waited. Victoria never showed to walk to church, but they just walked to church anyway. They thought, you know, maybe she was held up with something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So they went to church on their way. But then no one greeted the mailman on Monday, and neighbors started to kind of grow suspicious. On April fourth, so. Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., a mechanic arrived at the property for an appointment he had with Andreas to work on a diesel engine. The farm seemed very quiet. He heard cattle mooing in the pasture and the dog barking in the stable, but no other movement. No smoke in the chimney. Nothing. Hmm. He knocks on the front door. Gets no answer. But instead of just heading on his way, he actually heads to the tool shed. 
where he noticed the lock was broken and removed. So he decides, eh, okay, I'll just get to work. <laughs> he carries the engine into the tool shed and for the next four and a half hours stays and works on the engine. When he is done, he walks across the courtyard to his truck and this time he notices the previously locked stable door wasn't locked anymore and the dog that was barking inside the stable is now tied up in front of the front door of the home, growling at him. He assumed someone had come home, and he's kind of confused, like, why no one came to talk to him yeah. while he's working yeah. in their tool shed, but he just left. Now, he too went to Lorenz's house about how quiet the farm was and just how odd the occurrence was. So Lorenz gathers his two sons and some other neighbors and goes to check on the farm. The house was locked. The animals were all in their proper pens. Was the dog up. still there? Mm-hmm. The farm was eerily quiet. The only door that remained unlocked was the door on the tool shed. From the tool shed or the engine room, as some called mm-hmm. it. Like I said, the resources kind of went back and forth. There was a door that led. So from that tool shed or engine room, there was a door that led into the main barn. Now, unfortunately, there was some wooden beam propped up from the inside of the barn making it almost impossible for them to get in. But all the men pushed really hard, and they pushed their way, and they broke it, and they got into the barn. The barn was dark. Like I said, all the cattle are in their proper pins. The men pulled out the flashlights and looked around. Suddenly, one of the neighbors yelled out, There's a foot. Looking down, Lorenz saw a foot sticking out from under a bale of hay. He pulled the leg out from under the straw, and it was Andreas Gruber. His face was covered in blood and almost unrecognizable. He had on pants and an undershirt. Eventually, it is discovered Cecilia, Victoria, and little Celie are also stacked under the bale of hay in the barn. Oh my gosh. Their faces all bloody, like they had all taken blows to the head. Absolutely horrified at the findings, Lorenz and the neighbors go running, barging into the Gruber's home. Some resources even stated that Lorenz was frantic, stating, I have to find my son. Oh. Little two-year-old Joseph was found under one of his mom's skirts in his crib. His head had been bludgeoned as well. Oh, no. The new maid, Maria, was discovered in her room on the floor covered with sheets. All six seemed to have been killed. Basically, all hacked with an axe. What? What? It's been a while since we've had an <laughs> axe murder, in our story. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to back. To find another one. <laughs> Gosh. Later found to be a mattock or a small pickaxe of sorts. Victoria was the only one to show strangulation wounds as well. Now, this is sad. And if you're more sensitive to children's death, fast forward about 15 seconds. Mom, I'm sorry. But it seemed that little Celie had actually survived her wounds and had lay there for several hours, dying from basically a loss of blood. She had torn out tufts of her hair in such agonizing fear and stress. Uh She was only seven, and she was laying there next to her deceased grandparents and her mom. That that part just... And she'd probably seen it all happen, too. Yeah, because we don't know what order it happened in. Yeah. Celie... Cecilia and Victoria were in their nightgowns, and Andreas was, like, in pants and an undershirt. Mm -hmm. So it was assumed that maybe Andreas went first because he wasn't in his pajamas yet. Plus, he's the guy. You would think that they would take the guy out first. And nobody knows. I know. Within an hour of discovering the bodies, a crowd was gathering on the property. It was made note that Lorenz was calm. And while they waited for law enforcement to arrive, he actually gave a few tours to show the bodies. One of the people on the tour, according to the Case File podcast, even went to the kitchen and made himself a snack. Oh, good grief. Neighbors cautioned Lorenz to not disturb the crime scene, but he wasn't concerned with it. When investigators arrived, finally, from Munich, it was too late and too dark to investigate, so they had to wait until morning, which means that all the evidence that has now been Trampled gone on. through by <laughs> tourists is idly sitting there overnight. It's, that's just so crazy to me. 
Uh, the bodies are still there, I'm assuming, because they didn't. Everything is just left, oh, Mom. Nobody, no cop flew to go do anything. So it's been like toured. And like I said, Munich is pretty far away. So everything's just kind of been toured by people. You know, Lorenzo's just letting people in left and right to go see things. And then the cops show up and they're like, oh, it's too late. We'll just investigate in the morning. So then everything's left overnight. But who's to say not more people went through? Like, it's Oh, just, for sure they did. Oh, my gosh. It's just crazy to me. So the next morning, pretty early, the investigation starts, if you can call it an investigation. The bodies were laid as Lorenz had left them, so no bodies had been moved since Lorenz had moved. He had, I think he pulled two from under the stack. They were stacked one on top of each other. And like I mentioned, they all had head injuries to the skull with a pickaxe or a mattock. But it was interesting because the only blood splatter that was seen was on the inside of the main barn door that led to the stables. That's it. Really? And not like a ton. Yeah, I thought that was really weird too. Inside the home, there was some blood found leading to the maid's room and some in each bedroom, but just like droplets of it. Wow. Victoria's room that she shared with her children had been totally torn apart, and that was the only room that was really torn apart the dresser was wide open with clothing everywhere but even with all this mess there was no signs of burglary in the entire i said it i said it throughout the entire home there were gold coins that were still found jewelry throughout the house nothing was taken oh there were no clues as to who did this but there were clues that the murderer had stuck around after killing them some neighbors reported that they had even seen smoke coming from the chimney at night. Well, he had to cook some to eat. Everybody stayed away. Or Yeah, the odd occurrences started happening on April 1st. Celia didn't show up to school April 1st. Right. And everything, the bodies weren't found until the 4th. Right. And the dog even moved positions. So somebody was at the farm, right? Yeah. The cattle and the dog had all been fed. I was going to ask about that. Those poor cattle locked up. No, they'd been fed. They had been fed. And the family's food supply, their their smoked meat had all been eaten. Their bread had all been eaten. So this person was there for a few days. Noise in the barn where the killing seemed to take place would not have been heard in the house. Actually, the door leading to the barn from the house was really narrow So only one person at a time could have gone through that door, Mm -hmm. meaning and leading police to suspect that the family was lured out to the barn and killed one at a time. Gotcha. So somehow something was being done that they were taken there one at a time. No fight was had. It's just weird. It is weird. Plus, there's no blood. I mean, there's no. very, very little blood. Those are head wounds. You'd think that there would be tons but there's of blood. blood. The blood splatter is only in one place. So even if that one barn door had all the blood splatter, it's just weird that they were taken alive one by one. Yeah. By whom? And they were all killed. No, no single person got away. Weird. Forensic evidence had poor conditions to work with. With the people that came out to the crime scene, the way Lorenz had invited everybody in, and then he also moved a couple bodies in the barn when they were... So, and the bodies were pretty decomposed at this point. They'd probably been there for five days or so. Plus, they'd been in the straw, so that's kind of warm. So that would speed up decomposition, I would think. I don't... Yep. No, I think you're right. And so fingerprints was a thing at this time, but no fingerprints were collected. They didn't even look for fingerprints. What the heck? So I thought that was really, really weird, too. And from what I understand, also, only five photos were taken of the crime scene. Five or six pictures were taken. (laughs) Isn't that weird? (laughs) That is weird. You like these stories. Oh, it's about to get... You like these stories where... (laughs) there's crime scene goof ups sorry Uh okay and it gets even weirder though okay the autopsies happened right there on the property in the barn Uh. 
They propped they propped up a door for a makeshift table. Oh my gosh. The doctor comes out and performs the autopsies in the barn on this table door. And people stayed to watch. (laughs) Good Lord. Didn't they have some cattle to feed and to milk and to (laughs) get to work? I mean, we've talked about it, but it must not just be an American thing. (laughs) Germans are into it, too. I mean, they walked through the Clutter family home and same with the Velisca Axe murders and... And the Germans are walking through this crime scene and watching autopsies. Like, people people in general are just weirdos. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing for us to watch it on TV, which, of course, we do, to then to actually go and view this horrific scene. Ugh. It was determined the killer was left-handed because of how all the slash sure. marks were made. At least they made one determination. <laughs> and had used a pickaxe or a mattock or a mattock malik have i been calling a mattock i don't know I now know i don't what know that what that was it is. but i didn't is it a mallet? mallet it's mal it's not a mallard that's a duck no. <laughs> now i don't know <laughs> basically it's a little pickaxe <laughs> a mattock or a mallet oh boy you've been calling a mattock i didn't know what that was but i didn't want to interrupt you <laughs> Sorry. Let's just call it a small pickaxe. Uh, Like I mentioned, Victoria had been strangled and even had wounds on her skull more so than others. She had these like weird star shaped indentions on her skull, which I'll get into in a little bit. But yeah, she was her murder seemed more personal personal to me. Mm With the strangulation and her room was torn apart Uh and I don't know that just it just seemed like a little more was done. Now, I did read that as they were bringing little Seely's body to the examination table or the door, Mm. they noticed a rope tied in a noose hanging from the rafters in the barn that had not been there before. What? Yeah, they went up to investigate it. They even brought dogs out. So they stopped the autopsies. This crowd is like, man, we are getting a show tonight. <laughs> Good thing we didn't come last so, night. This night's better. This is so sick. I shouldn't. We shouldn't be laughing at it. But they bring out dogs and everything because they're like, somebody was here. Yeah. And the beam was super dusty, but it had fresh fingerprints. Huh? And handprints were found near the rope, but no one was found. I thought that was really weird. I think a lot of this stuff is weird. So the doctor gets back to the autopsies. And then. Yeah. (laughs) And then. I'm hanging on every word. (laughs) Well, just wait. Hang on tight because it's about to get crazy. The doctor cuts all their heads off. Sorry, I was not expecting that at all. I knew you were. Because heads are so much lighter than entire bodies, and we've got to carry these heads to Munich? Well, actually, yeah. So they sent, they wanted to send them off to pathology, in, to the Pathology Institute at the University of Munich to be examined. Uh-huh. Off with their heads. Basically. Keep hanging on. Because of the war, the heads were never returned. Nobody knows where the heads went. Oh, but they made it to the university? I think they made it to the university or were on their way or were being shipped or nobody knows where the heads are. Oh, my gosh. Mom, we're talking about six heads. Human heads. I know what we're talking about. Gone. Oh. The funeral was that following Saturday and they were all buried without their heads. Nearly 3,000 people came to the funeral. Oh, my goodness. This was such a big deal in the area. Mm-hmm. The six victims were all buried together in a mass grave. A reward was put out for the killer. It was greatly publicized everywhere, and people were scared all over the area. Police advised those living on rural farms to properly check their buildings every night. That's what Andreas was doing, so I don't know. Anyway, and their other advice was to get guard dogs. Oh. So, another reason we should have dogs. (laughs) 
And As maybe a few guns would be helpful, too. It doesn't sound like Andreas. He had guns, too. Oh, he did he have did. guns. He had guns. Okay. He had guns. As time passed, odd little tidbits started to come out. A couple weeks before the murder, the church had received a huge 700 gold mark donation. The priest had discovered it was from Victoria Gruber. Her entire savings account had been emptied those two weeks before the murders, and most oh of her gosh. money had been given to the church. The church. Oh, that's weird. Soldiers in the area were reporting that another soldier was saying that he was the killer out at Hinterkaifeck, and some were saying that this was Carl, Victoria's first husband, that he actually didn't die in the war, and that he had come back and killed them all. Ugh. Later on, this is proven to be false. Yeah. There were some soldiers that came forward and they're like, we saw him die. Like, Yeah, and he wouldn't have killed dead. his little girl. It just didn't make sense. But Mm-mm. people are just looking for answers in any sure. way they can, I guess. And, it, you know, they like to watch autopsies. So they want to come up with some creepy story that this guy actually wasn't dead. Oh, my gosh. Lorenz was, of course, a suspect. He was so calm as he found the bodies, except when he went to go look for his son, which could have been an act. And he led people around running. He not running, ruining. Come on, guys. (laughs) I'll beat you around the barn. Ready, set, go. God, ruining evidence. But really, I don't know what the motive could have been to kill all of them like that. Maybe there was more behind the scenes. Like I said, the family really kept to themselves. So the fact that her room was torn apart, she was strangled. Maybe Lorenz was mad that she wasn't continuing a relationship with him. Or honestly, I have no idea. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. In 1923, so... A year later, less than a year later, I think, the whole property was demolished. Oh. As they were working in the house, taking some roof pieces apart before they demolished it, carpenters noticed some loose floorboards in the attic. They removed them and found hay stuffed in there. And hidden under the hay was a blood-stained mattock. It is a mattock. M-A-T-T-O-C-K. Mattock. But my notes say it's not just any Maddox. <laughs> it was one that was known to be Andreas's. There was a screw sticking out of the handle. And neighbors knew this to be Andreas's because this, I guess this people knew that to be Andreas's. I, I don't know. The screw meant it was Andreas's. So he had a screw loose? <laughs> he did. But the screw matched the star-shaped patterns oh, found yeah. in Victoria's skull. But they obviously can't compare that necessarily perfectly because, because her, her head's head is missing. missing somewhere. Why only on but her head? Again, I think it was more personal. Investigators were adamant that they had done a thorough search. And they believed that the killer had returned to the farm and hidden the murder weapon. Hmm. Police looked into the whole Carl story. They also looked into a story that Andreas had been part of some embezzlement group or had some political motivations. Mm-hmm. This is during the war, so sure. that was happening in a lot of places. I guess there was a guy who was a part of a group, like some political embezzlement group. Uh, he was an ex-soldier, and he claimed that he killed a family of nine out in Bulgaria, but it just nothing ever led back to the Grubers. Nothing was okay. tying them to any of it. Police looked into all of it, but at the end of the 30s, the investigation was put on hold with the doom of World War II. Yeah. And actually, bombing attacks in the area ruined most, if not all, of the evidence in the case. And that was it. Oh. The land has been cleared. There's a small, there's only just a small monument left there. That's all that remains of Hinterkaifeck. A murderer was never charged. There really was no real suspect in all of it a local college tried to reopen the case and look into it a few years ago but with no evidence yeah, there's nothing no forensics, to look at. yeah and no more people to interview from the time i'm afraid this case will remain cold forever yeah i think you're right so what about the possibility of somebody actually living in their house because there were so many weird things that happened that kind of point that way i know but 
And that's where you kind of want to lean because of the maid that had worked there hearing footsteps and stuff. But people went up and investigated the attic. Even where the floorboards, everything? Yeah, yeah. And like if I don't see Andreas hearing footsteps in the attic and just rolling over and going back to sleep either. I mean, he was, that was his farm. Right. You know what I mean? So that leads you to this happened, you know, so long ago that... I don't know, maybe that, maybe there was, how do I, how do I phrase it? Like, maybe there's more to the story, but that's really what stuck. Sure. Is that there was somebody living in the house. And I think seeing the chimney smoke and the dog being moved around and the cows being fed and the food being eaten. Somebody was obviously staying there. So it's like, had there been somebody staying there for longer? Like, it's just, yeah, they kind of. Maybe it's been embellished over the years. I don't know. So you might not know this, but where did he usually keep that the murder we- the murder weapon? Where did he usually keep that? I would ass- I would assume in the tool shed with all the other tools. The tool shed that was the door that was broken was into. Mhm. Yeah. Just weird. What an unsettling story just because there's no end to it. And no like in the Velisca axe murder or you you can kind of see different roads that goes mm-hmm. down to different opportunities for the case or possibilities for the case. But this one just it's is wide just open. Nothing. There's a yeah. roadblock like there. You can't go anywhere. You have no idea. <laughs> we we sure looked at me. that differently. I said it's wide open and you said it's closed. <laughs> the glass is half empty. <laughs> it's totally empty. Oh my gosh. The so the day before Celie didn't come to school, she had fallen asleep in mm-hmm. class and said she was exhausted. The um Crime Files podcast I listened to mentioned that she actually ended up telling her teacher so the night before that, so now I'm all confused. So she was falling asleep in class because that night before yeah. That's one of the nights that Andreas heard footsteps in the attic. Now, she didn't tell her teacher that. She didn't mention that to her teacher. What she told her teacher was that her mom had gone missing. And they were, like, looking for her mom. And her mom was found out by some lake or something. And they had worried that she had drowned or something had happened. It was just really bizarre. So, And I, I couldn't find that anywhere else. But I just wanted to mention that because there was stuff happening in that house that we don't... You know what I mean? Like that kind of backs up that they really did keep to themselves. Yeah. And there could have easily been maybe they were housing somebody. Oh. I don't know. Wow. Just wow. We just don't. We just don't know. And all of it, all the everything's been lost. So. Oh. Hmm. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So are we going to be going smoothly down or smoothly up from here? I think smoothly up. Definitely smoothly up. Thank goodness. So I have eine Geistgeschichte von Deutschland, meaning I have a ghost story. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Told you I'd be throwing some German in there. I'm listening to the wrong podcast. (laughs) Where are the English subtitles here? Come on now. Um, So I spent most of my growing up years in Germany. And so I have a very... mm, my heart, part of my heart is definitely in Germany. So that was my language that I spoke until I was five, six years old. My mother was German and my whole family. So my father was American, but he was, his parents were all German. So German was definitely spoken in our house. Both my parents spoke German. Anyway, going to Germany, the country of castles and forests and fortresses and The Grimm Brothers. Oh, I was like, this sounds like a fairy tale. (laughs) We all heard about the Grimm Brothers, but there are certain things I didn't know about them, and I thought I'd share them. Sounds good. Because of the gruesome and scary stories that the brothers cataloged, I decided that that would be the topic of my part of the episode on Germany. Have you heard of the story of the Goose Girl? No. (laughs) Okay. Was she a mallard? She wasn't no, but it's kind of funny, and you'll know when I get to the part. <laughs> oh, no. So this is the story as told, like you could tell this story to the boys, okay? There was a princess whose mother sent her off to another kingdom to marry the prince there. Right along with the princess was her maid. 
who was very, a very jealous girl. Shortly after their trek to the kingdom started, the maid refused to do what the princess asked her to do. So the princess would say, I'm thirsty. Could you please get me some water? And the maid would say, get your own dang water. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Wow. Eventually, the maid even told the princess to change places with her. So now the maid was the princess and the princess was the maid. The real princess was told that if she ever reveals the switch, she would be cursed forever. So the fake princess marries the prince. And the real princess was given a job and she was to help herd the geese with a boy named Kurtkin. Now, I don't know why they're herding geese. That might have been something, <laughs> but I'm just saying that's the story. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why either. <laughs> that reminds me. When I went to Kohl's the other day to do an Amazon return, there was a goose outside the front of the store. And I said to the lady, we're like in the city. Like, there's a goose out there. She goes, yeah, we can't do anything about it because they have a nest. Oh. They put, they had put a nest in like the, gra like the grass right there outside of Kohl's. So there's two geese there and a nest. And they can't do anything about it until eggs hatch. Oh, my goodness. Now these geese are like guarding the only door into Kohl's because of COVID. They shut down the other entrance. Now we know why there's a goose girl. It's to yeah. keep the geese from doing that. Where were they? They needed I to get them out of cold. Don't know. I don't know. Sorry, I know that that's probably nothing to do with your story, but I thought that was really weird. Random goose honking at everybody as you walk into coals. Okay, go on. <laughs> One day, Kirkin and the real princess fought. And Kirkin, being the little tattletale that he was, ran to the king to complain. The next day, the king came out to the spot where Kirkin and the real princess were herding the geese, but he stayed hidden from them. He soon realized that the girl was actually very kind and soft-spoken, and he wanted to hear what she had to say. Asking her what her story was, the princess replied that she had promised never to talk to another human about what had happened. The king then replied, well, then tell the boulder over there what really <laughs> happened. Now, obviously, the princess was refined but not real smart anyway so the king says you know go talk to that boulder over there it's not talk a person that's not a, that's not a person so you won't be going against your oath and the girl did just that telling the boulder everything that had happened since she left her mother the king was of course listening and that night when he was at dinner with his son the prince and the fake princess he threw out a story about someone lying to the king and asked the fake princess what would she do to the liar. The girl responded that the evil person should be flogged. That means whipped, in wow. case you wanted to know. And then <laughs> banished from the kingdom. And that is exactly what the king ordered done to the girl. Then the real princess was brought to the palace, was given fine clothes to wear, and in huge celebration, she was married to the prince. And they lived happily ever after. After he had just married somebody else. That sounds like such a romantic marriage. So the moral of this sweet children's story is to always be honest and true. Well, that's Disney's version, okay? Grimm's Brothers version. That's the juicy stuff. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I wish I could have a drink right now. And the the name of the title of the real story is Die Ganze Macht, the Goose Girl. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Grimm fairy tales were actually not for children at all, but rather for adults. So to begin with, the princess was riding on her beloved horse, Falada, F-L-A-D-A. -A. I don't know, you're the German speaker, not me. That's not German. Falada, I don't think. Anyway, her horse could speak. Falada was a very special horse. When the evil maid forced the princess to switch places, the maid also took Falada. And after being married for a short time to the prince, the fake princess told the prince that the horse, Falada, had made her angry on the way to the kingdom and she wanted the horse's head cut off. Another beheading story. See? See? I told you. I told you, Catch On. In reality, she was afraid the horse would talk about what had happened. The real princess found out that her beloved horse was going to die. So in secret, she asked the man who was going to cut the horse's head off if he would nail Falana's head on the gateway. What? <laughs> that she... 
that she had to pass through every day. So now there's this horse's head just (laughs) nailed to the gateway. So my horse is going to have to die, but I want to see his head every day. Well, listen to this. So early in the morning, as she passed by the horse's head, she would say, alas, Falada, hanging there. And the horse would answer, alas, young queen, how ill you fare. If this your mother knew, it would break her heart in two. So, so she had a conversation. Still talk. <laughs> yes, the horse, so the horse can still, can still talk. Tattle on and the why he princess. didn't tattle on her, I have no idea. Oh, hey, an- Falada, how it ha- how's it hanging? <laughs> <laughs> so, another marked difference is that when the k- <laughs> another marked difference is that when the king asked the fake princess what punishment a person deserved who had lied to the king, the fake princess said that the person should be stripped naked and put into a barrel which is studded inside with long pointed nails wow two white horses should be harnessed to the barrel and should drag the barrel with the person inside until they were dead oh my god (laughs) and that is exactly this reminds me of the blood countess that's exactly what happened to the lying princess And the prince married the true princess, and both of them reigned over their kingdom in peace and happiness. (laughs) Saying hello to the horse's head every morning. So now a little about those Grimm brothers. Wilhelm und Jakob. So William and Jacob? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's Wilhelm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. The brothers did not actually write any of these stories. In fact, the fairy tales existed long before the brothers were even born. They were part of an oral tradition passed down through the generations. Mm -hmm. The brothers, who studied German folklore and oral tradition, decided to gather all the stories and write them down to preserve them for future generations. In 1812, Wilhelm and Jakob published a collection titled Kinder und Haushaltgeschichten, or Nursery and Household Tales, now known (laughs) as the Grimm's Fairy Tales. As I mentioned before, these stories were not initially meant for children. They were often told by women to each other to pass the time during household (laughs) chores. Have you heard about the Goose Girl? (laughs) Hey, while you're ironing those shirts, let me tell you. Let me tell you about a barrel pulled by two horses with a bunch of nails in it. And I don't know why we're talking Southern, because we're in Germany. (laughs) So these stories were sort of like soap operas. The stories included sex, violence, incest, and murder. Much like my story did. (laughs) Yeah. For example, Rapunzel. And you know the story, and if you don't, by that name... Do you know Tangled? Tangled, yes. Okay, now everyone's with us. Let down your long hair. So a young princess is kidnapped and kept in a tower by a witch. She never cuts her hair, and eventually it's so long, the witch uses it to climb the tower to her captive. A handsome prince watches this happen, and after the witch leaves, he calls out for Rapunzel to let her hair down. So I'm kind of summing Tangled up here. He climbs up, they fall in love, he helps her escape, and they live happily ever after. Okay, that's Tangled. Okay. Disney. Okay. Now, the real story. The princess, who is very naive and has never even seen a man before. Okay, so the prince does watch the witch and then he climbs up there and he seduces her and they have sex. <laughs> she got it, gets, mom. She gets pregnant with twins, <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> the prince, by this time, has left her. He has no idea that she's pregnant. And for some reason, he goes blind and wanders aimlessly through the forest. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta add the sense of dramatics here. So now alone, up in this tower, I guess, Rapunzel gives birth to the twins. Years later, Rapunzel and the aimlessly wandering prince, (laughs) who is blind. sounds like a keeper. (laughs) (laughs) You lucky girl, you. (laughs) They find each other. And the prince's eyesight is restored. Oh, good. Yes, see? Not exactly a story that you would tell the boys. So the stories were revised to be more (laughs) child-friendly. If you seduce a girl and get her pregnant, you're you're going to go blind. And wander (laughs) the forest forever blind. Yep. 
That's that's the moral of the story to boys. <laughs> to girls, you'd be stuck in a tower raising two kids by yourself. By yourself. <laughs> Until, finally, finally, when the kids are grown up, you're gonna you're gonna run into that. You're gonna find wonderful man, man. wandering blind <laughs> and bring him back his sight. And, okay. Oh my god. <laughs> By 1859, the collection of fairy tales was in its seventh edition and had grown to 211 stories. And now it was illustrated also. Oh, boy. But these collections were not the only things the Grimm brothers worked on. They were both university trained philologist, philologist, philologist. That's a hard word to say. Don't think I've ever heard that before. So it's the study of language and historical texts. Okay. They published works on linguistics and medieval studies, as well as wrote books on mythology. They were also compiling a German dictionary. But as Wilhelm died in 1859 and Jakob in 1863, they didn't get very far. They died before they were able to finish the entry for the letter F. Oh, oh. Oh. They didn't get very far at all. <laughs> the word grim, because, you know, the Grimm brothers, grim, you know. Grim means, the word, like, sad, right? Like The word grim was around long before the Grimm brothers, and they're actually spelt different. Grim is with one M, and grim, as in Grimm brothers, has two M's. Two M's, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Co, according to, so, not co, so, <laughs> according to vocabulary.com, we have a great vocabulary. <laughs> We're really not getting through this. Story. Grim means gloomy, stark, ghastly, and somber. Mm-hmm. The name Grim means cruel and fierce. So perfect combinations for the story. I guess is, but it's just coincidence that the brother's last name defines the folk tales they collected. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, I'm going to end by telling you another story. I'm sorry, but. This is the difference, Cinderella, the difference between the Disney version that we all know and the real story of Cinderella. Okay. Well, the grim story. I don't think this is like a true story that actually No, happened. it really happened. What? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> so, well, we all know the story of Cinderella, so I don't have to retell that. No. Um, I'm going to tell you the story of Aschenputtel. What? She was a Aschenputtel, meaning not poodle, poodle with a T. Aschenputtel, translated as Cinderella. Okay. First, Aschenputtel's father does not die. Okay. Oh. Doesn't Cinderella. Instead. Well, Disney always has the parents die. Yeah. Instead, he's just a bit daft, I would say. Wandering the woods blind. (laughs) That's probably his... Yeah, his father Hobby. was probably, he's probably one of the twins. <laughs> he goes off to, for a job and he asks the stepsisters and Aschenputtel what they want to, for him to bring back. And the stepsisters say, oh, you know, one says, I want jewels. And the other says, I want fine dresses. And then Aschenputtel says that she would like a branch that knocks off his hat. <laughs> I'm gonna pee my pants. What? Can't she just go outside and get that herself? What? No. The branch has to knock off his hat, and that's the branch that she wants. So what? he brings all these things back. Okay. When she, oh boy. when she receives, just she, the dad was daft, or was she? Well, she knows what she's doing with this special branch. So as soon as she gets it. She runs quickly to her mother's grave and plants the twig, watering it, (laughs) watering it with her tears. Oh. That makes it grow into a tree. Oh. This is a fairy tale. Little white birds are always in the tree. Okay. They come in. They're very important. Whenever Aschenputtel asks for something, the birds throw it down to her. But of course, she never asked for anything big. Well, because the birds couldn't carry anything big. <laughs> oh, 
When Ushin Poodle asks to go to the ball, her stepmother throws a cup of lentils in the ashes of the fireplace and what? tells her and tells her that she can go if she picks out every lentil in two hours. Oh my gosh. Ushin Poodle calls on her trusted bird friends to help and they pick out every lentil in an hour. Wow. Not pleased, the stepmother then throws two cups of lentils into the ashes <laughs> and tells Ashen Poodle that if she picks out all the lentils in an hour she can go the birds once again help and the task is done but the stepmother still does not let Ashen Poodle go to the ball with them I'm not sure what the heck was wrong with the father maybe he was scared <laughs> of his new wife but he never <laughs> steps up to the plate for his daughter He's, like, oh, no. he's alive, but he might as well not be, okay? So. He's he's too busy trying to find the hat that his daughter is hit <laughs> off his head. <laughs> With a stick. He's looking so, for his hat. Okay, so in this version, there are actually three balls, not one. Oh. Uh, but they are held so the prince can meet his future bride. You know, instead of Tinder, they had balls in those days, I guess. <laughs> so, there are no mice, no fairy godmothers, or no pumpkin that turns into a carriage. Instead, Ushin Poodle goes to her mother's grave and asks the tree for a dress. Aww. Then the, well, birds, the birds, not the then, tree. Then the birds bring it down to her. And each night of the ball, the dresses get more beautiful. The prince dances with only Ashen Poodle. The first night he follows her home, but she hides in the pigeon house, which her father promptly tears down looking for what? her. But no, yeah, he finally, you know, can looking actually pick up an axe. <laughs> He's looking for his daughter because the, the prince is telling her she's in there. I want her. But there's no Ashen wow. Poodle. <laughs> And the father goes, okay, whatever. <laughs> she's not in there, okay? She's like some kind of Houdini or something. And the second night of the ball, the prince follows her home, and she climbs a beautiful pear tree. Her father chops the tree down, but no Ashen <laughs> Poodle. Then the prince gets smart, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to outsmart this girl. And during the third ball, while he's dancing with Ashen Poodle, he has his servants put pitch on the palace steps. Like tar. Okay. And as Ashen Poodle runs away, her shoe gets stuck and she leaves it. Mm. The next day, the prince arrives at the house with the shoe. Now, he, he kind of has a feeling that she lives there, so he doesn't go all over the kingdom looking for Is someone who fits the shoe. Is he getting a feeling that she's obviously not interested in him or... <laughs> Talking about the runaway bride. Yeah. <laughs> Take a hint, buddy. Okay. So he wants to find his bride, the one whose foot fits the shoe. The first stepsister tries it on. Her foot is too big, so her mother tells her to cut off her toe. Uh, <laughs> she says, just cut your toe off and don't worry, because <laughs> once, once you're the queen, you won't have to walk at all. Said, just cut it off now. What kind of accent was that? The girl does. She takes a knife and she cuts her toe off. Oh my God. And the shoe fits. Oh now, the, the prince, I have to give it to him. He had a really good idea with the pitch, you know, the tar. Yeah. But he really isn't too bright because he doesn't notice that blood is dripping from the shoe <laughs> until the birds inform him of it. <laughs> no. oh, tweet tweet oh, no. tweet the blood <laughs> so then stepsister number two tries on the shoe her foot is also too big so her mother tells her eh, just cut off the back of your heel <laughs> once you're queen you'll never have to walk anyway so she does she cuts off her heel and the shoe fits but again, the lame prince doesn't see that there's blood <laughs> pouring out of the shoe until the birds tell him. Oh, no. 
of course, then Aschenpoodle tries on the shoe and it fits. But by this time, it's so bloody that she probably slides right into it. I mean, Ew! <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, so then, of course, they get married. You know, they, they're going to get married. And at the wedding, the stepsisters try to get some glory. And they actually follow Aschenpoodle and the prince up the aisle. So one How? On each. They can barely walk. <laughs> they hobble up the aisle behind them. But get this. So the birds then come to the wedding and they peck out one eyeball <laughs> of each of the sisters. I officially have to go to the bathroom now. No, it's not done. As they then... <laughs> As the couple, after they're married, they turn around and walk back down the aisle. So now the sisters are hobbling and holding one side of their eye. And the birds again descend upon them and peck out the other eye of each (laughs) of the girls. And they have to live the rest of their lives in blindness and missing part of their food. (laughs) Hobbling around the woods. Maybe they'll find a prince. That is the true story of <laughs> Cinderella. <laughs> the grim true story. Aschenputtel. There oh, you go. my gosh. I know there weren't any ghosts, but I just thought this was fun. Because these are fun. horrible, horrible stories. <laughs> I read a few other ones and it's just like, God, this is gruesome. <laughs> Let me just nail my beloved horse's head to the gate. Well, thank you so much for sharing. (laughs) Uh, Oh, boy. Well, that was fun, sweetheart. I'm going to have to introduce you to some of this Hefeweizen sometime when you can drink. Because it really is such a good, it's it's just such a great summer beer. Maybe it's because I have great fond memories drinking it in Germany. But anyway, it's. I can't drink more than one or two because it's very heavy. It's wheat beer, so it's heavy. Yeah. But no, I love um, Casey Beer Co. makes. That's right. That's it. Really good Hefeweizen mm-hmm. that I really like. It's just so tasty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right, though. It's perfect for summer. So, episode 71. Next Coming week, next. we will be covering stories from Colorado. Woohoo. 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 We will post pictures and resources to our website, Killer Hangover Podcast. You guys have until the 1st of June, which this comes out on a Monday, so you have until Tuesday, to join Patreon to get your free goodie. So once you join, method just your address, and you'll get your free goodie for Patreon. Again, thank you to all of our patrons. Thank you to all of our listeners. Yes, and uh, happy Memorial Day. Yep. And I hope you had a wonderful, safe weekend. Yes. All right, Mom. Virtual cheers. Virtual cheers, darling. Love you, kid. <laughs>